If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, popping in real quick to invite you to check out the Spark subscription. I know writing student-driven storylines can be so overwhelming, from choosing your phenomena to bundling your standards to putting all those pieces together. And I wanted to make it easier for you, because I know it's important to engage your students with phenomena and have amazing storylines, but I also want you to have time for yourself and your family. So I created the Spark subscription. With Spark, each month, you're going to receive a new storyline starter, a real relevant anchor experience to capture student interest and spark their questions. You're going to get a pathways map to balance your need to plan ahead with also giving students the reins and allowing them to drive the learning. And over two weeks of lesson materials plus a three-dimensional assessment. You can be responsive to your students and still meet your standards. Plus, you can also keep your nights and weekends for your family and yourself. It is possible to be the amazing teacher you are and you want to be and also leave work on time. So you can grab your free storyline starter and check out the Spark subscription by visiting www.iexplorescience.com backslash spark. And that will also be in the show notes. All right, back to the episode. Hey guys, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, and I'm here with Erin Sadler with Sadler Science. And we are back from our podcast break. So thank you so much for joining us um, and spending your summer months with us in season, I think we're on six now of our podcast. So, and we were talking about seasons don't actually matter, but anyway. Um, so we today, we're talking about phenomena today. And before you tune out, if you're like, I'm already using phenomena, we are going to be looking at how you can choose better phenomena, because I think that's something that, I mean, it's like something we all are constantly growing in. I don't want to say struggle with, but it's something that we can all like have room to grow in. And when our students change and the world changes, you know, the phenomena that we're working with sometimes needs to change too. So even if, you know, one year you have a really great phenomenon and it works really great, sometimes the next year, the next class doesn't work so well. So we always want to kind of up our game with how we are selecting our phenomenon, phenomena. And that is what we're talking about today. Yeah. And I think that 
when we first started, we were just kind of helping people check that box. Like, let's get your phenomenon in place and then move on from there. And now we really want to be a little bit more thoughtful about the way that we're choosing phenomena and make sure that it's really good for our students. Yes, that's so true. I 100% agree because I feel like when I started, it was just a box I'm checking and I, I, I bundled everything. I almost did everything else before I chose the phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And now I've realized that's not the best way to do it. And really I want, I want my own units look like this. And I want, you know, the teachers I work with to be really choosing their phenomenon and then building their entire unit from that phenomenon and choosing it, choosing one that's really going to connect with their students, because that's the heart of student driven learning and really 3d learning. You need to have that, that buy-in from students and that drive from your students. So we've both definitely grown from with, with our thoughts on phenomena since even we started this podcast. Like, yeah, for sure. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I look back at things I like wrote or said, and I'm like, "Mm, I'm going to argue with you. (laughs) I've been, I've been updating old um, blog posts and I'm like, Oh, nope, nope. That's not still true. (laughs) So yeah, that's such a good idea. I probably should do that. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I guess before we dive in, I am just going to do a quick recap, if that's good with you, Erin, so that everybody is on the same page of like what phenomena are. Sounds good to me. Okay. So I always like to describe phenomena as moments in time. Um, and they're just natural things that happen. They're things that happen in the natural world. And that's the definition you get for most of the science websites and all that things that happen in the natural world. The thing that I like to add to that is this moment in time concept, because I think sometimes when we look at things that happen in the natural world, we think initially um, like water cycle, that's like a big thing. It happens in the natural world, right? But it's not a phenomenon because it's not a specific moment in time. So water evaporating from a puddle is a phenomenon. Water evaporating from the puddle in your front yard or in your parking lot is a phenomenon. Last Tuesday, let's add the time in there, right? So your phenomenon, it's just something that happens in the natural world. It is a moment in time and it's not, and we're talking about the big phenomenon that we're building our units here. It's not something that you've brought into your classroom, like a simulation or anything. Those have a place in the learning. And I always like to emphasize, like, we're not getting rid of those, but that's not what you're building your whole unit on. So that's kind of my summary in short of like what phenomena really are. I mean, there's layers of phenomena. That's something to clarify. There's your big ones. There's kind of smaller level ones. But when we're talking about, about that big one, it's it's happening outside. It's happening in the world. Um, that said, so like I said, a puddle evaporating in the parking lot last Tuesday, it's a phenomenon. Is it a good one? Um, maybe not for all students, probably not right. for middle school students. Like, right. <laughs> so it's an example, but not necessarily a good one. <laughs> Well, and I think you said you specifically mentioned time, but also a specific place. Like it's something that happens in a specific time and place. Yes, yes, that, yes, yes. Yeah, that's that's something that I think that that a lot of us just kind of don't think about. Yeah, yeah you're right. Like um, I also have used kind of the idea of sea level rise. So uh, right. this is probably more appropriate for a middle school or a high school, right? Sea level rise, it's a bigger issue. It can be engaging. There's a lot of human impacts. Like it impacts humans and humans are impacting it. Um, but sea level rise itself is not necessarily a great phenomenon until you decide sea level rise in this town in Virginia or sea level rise in, I don't know, New Orleans or something like that um, over the last five years or 10 years or, or, you know, that's when you really get into like the phenomenon. Right. 
And I think that that brings in like some of the things that we look for in phenomena. And um, do you want to talk about, do you want to start talking about what we look for when we're looking for phenomena or do you want me to take that away? Yeah. Um, why don't, so before we started recording this, we kind of were talking about how it really depends on your age, your age, you know, level. So, um, and I kind of hinted at that with the puddle thing and versus sea level rise, right? There's different phenomena for kind of different ages, really. Um, so why don't you, let's just go from youngest and, and how it moves upward. Okay. So for me, I think I've been focusing a lot on working with, with younger students. And one of the things that I works that I feel works really well for younger students is to look at like everyday phenomenon. And I think that that was something we touched on a lot when we first started this podcast was like the everyday phenomena is really important. But I think that that was because our students were coming in without much experience. So we kind of yeah. had to start from the beginning. And now I really think that that type of phenomena is best for younger students. So thinking about like, why does the swing swing on the playground or, um, you know, things that, that relate directly to their everyday lives. And I think those things that are like play-based things that they can observe on the playground or in their immediate community are the best things to use. I totally agree. And I think it makes sense. I'm not like a child development expert here or anything, but just, you know, younger kids are very much in, in, within their world. And so it makes sense to have things that are literally in their world. So your phenomena has to be like personal experiences or hands-on or, you know, so in that sense, a pet that's in the classroom, an iguana and a tree frog and, and what you feed it and what's going on in a fish tank or whatever, you know, that's in the classroom, but that's their world. So I think it's totally applicable. Um, the same thing out on the playground, it's, it's, it's their world. And so that phenomena type of phenomena for those younger students is totally, I think that's where you have to start with those younger students. For sure. Yeah. Like we have a little lake across the street from our school so like they could go and they can walk across the street. We could do a little field trip and that would be yes. great. For them. Yes. Um, and so did you have anything else before we move on to like no. more middle school? No. Okay. So I think there's still definitely the role of those everyday experiences in a unit in a middle school classroom, but I don't think you get the same level of engagement when you use it as your anchor. So that everyday experience might be a great investigative level phenomena, like to help them figure out the content. But when we're looking at an anchor, I think we need to think about wh- where our students are. And again, kind of like developmentally, like younger kids, it's their world. Sure, they care about other people. Sure, they care about things around them, but, they, but they're kind of limited to like their experiences and their life. I think as students become more, move into like that more adolescence, they're starting to see, well, how do, do I fit in with all of the people around me? How do I fit in the world? Where is my place in the world? What's my impact on the world? What, and it doesn't have to be like a huge world. It could be like their community. It could be their family. It could be their peer group, like whatever. That's all playing a role. And so with choosing your big phenomena, your anchor phenomena for middle school students, I think there's a, a real value to kind of, kind of grabbing onto that place that they are in and choosing something that's really relevant outside of the classroom, that's relevant to their community or relevant to their families or is a global issue or, or, or all of that, you know? Yeah. I think like one of the major things that we need to think about is making that emotional connection with kids and 
And with little kids, you can have an emotional connection just because it's fun or it's, you know, like it's something that they understand. Whereas middle school students, you need to work a little bit harder (laughs) to bring them in. And also they can empathize to a much greater degree. And that is a much better way to engage them than just, I don't know, like some of the other types of things that we see where it's just like cool or it explodes or something. Yeah. Like almost like a a shell. (laughs) Yeah. A shell. Yeah. Um, I absolutely. And be kind of as my thinking of this has evolved and it's so funny because we're always on the same page. We'll like message each other and be like, oh my gosh, I just show Aaron will message me. And I'll be like, oh, I just thought that too. Or I just did that too or whatever. Um, and vice versa. But um, I've kind of thought, started thinking about engaging students with the anger phenomenon at, in layers. So you want to have that place. You want to have the relevance. So you kind of have to place it on a a world stage or a community stage, identify state, help students see that this issue matters outside of the classroom. It, it has stakeholders. Um, but you also want to have that personal connection and that emotional connection. And sometimes you, you might not be able to have one activity that does both. And so that's why I've been thinking more of it like if this isn't just one anchor lesson, it might be an experience. So I want to have a way that I can connect the students to see it on the world stage. And I want to have um, some type of activity or experience that connects it on a more personal level. Um, and it could be, and it, it could be a personal experience or it could just be like an emotional connection. So hearing somebody's story, even reading a fictional story, mm-hmm. you know, bringing in, but it brings in that emotion because you get to know the character and you have, you can relate to that and, and it ties that emotion into it. Um, so I just think there's value in having both of those connections in place because then you have that, you really have buy-in and students want to figure it out and want to understand what's happening and, you know, maybe want to make a difference, maybe want to take action on it. And that can turn into an amazing, you know, summative assessment later on. It can also just drive the whole learning forward if you're doing more of a project-based learning approach um, and a student-driven learning approach. But, but having those two pieces of the puzzle, that like relevance and then that emotion is, is really important to choosing your phenomena when you get to like middle and high school, I think. I think that also speaks to like a mistake that we kind of made earlier on where uh, I, I don't, you probably didn't do it as much as I did, but thinking about the anchor as like the engage part of like the 5e model and thinking. Oh, I totally did. As like a, a, a really small piece that you cover in like 10 minutes or something like that. Whereas I think now we're thinking more about the phenomenon as being something that's more rich and layered and takes a little bit more time to dig into and that we go back to and all of that stuff. And in order for it to really drive our entire instructional sequence, it really needs to be more robust. We really need to add more stuff to it. Yes. Yeah. It's not just the two paragraphs about the San Francisco, you know, 1906 earthquake. I think it was 1906, um, 1900, 1906. Yeah, there was one in 1906. Yeah. Okay. Um, And uh, data, you know, analyzing data on earthquakes around the world or whatever. Like, mm, not not so much. Those are some of my early phenomena uh, choices. But yeah, I think now, um, so I have one and actually it's available for free right now if you go to Eisler Science backslash Spark and we can put that in the show notes. Um, But it's, the goal is that it would drive learning into a unit that could tie to, I mean, really there's a lot of things you could tie to, but like human impacts, um, waste production and like human population growth, it can tie to the idea of ecosystems and, you know, ecosystem roles, 
um, consumers, producers, decomposers, could get into nutrient cycles, food webs, like kind of all of those things. But it looks at the idea of trash, the trash we produce and like the waste we produce and kind of gearing it toward also the food waste that we produce. Oh, and also ties to climate change because that's part of our trash problem. But um, like the first activity is a data analysis activity that looks at like what kinds of trash do we produce and how much trash do we produce and what, you know, and then the next activity gets into, well, how much trash do you individually produce or how much food waste do you produce in like one lunch? And then the final one is like, well, where does it all go? Does it, does the stuff that should be recycled actually get recycled? Does the stuff that could be composted get composted? Does it end up in a landfill? And, and so it's kind of, it's, it's a, series of three lessons that could take, um, depending on your students, you know, a couple of days worth of time. But the goal is that through it, um, students are definitely using science and engineering practices, which is our goal in class. But like through it, you're connecting that relevance, you're connecting that um, a little bit of emotion, because it kind of gets into like the impacts and it's not like super emotional, but um, maybe get a little fired up about, wow, we produce a lot of waste compared to the rest of the world. And hey, we're having an impact on the rest of the world. Uh, and then, but your role in it too, that personal connection with it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like what you've said, it's just like more of a robust experience and students can create a lot of questions from it that can then very easily take them into, you know, the ecosystems kind of thing. You can get into vermicomposting and what happens to nutrients and matter and how does it move through ecosystems and how does it move through just systems in general? Um, or you could get into human impacts so you can get into like the nutrient cycles with the, with the ecosystems. And I can't remember what else. Oh, climate change. Yeah. Um, but it is much, it's much bigger task, but it's also meant to get you to more than one, just one standard. It's meant to get you to a lot of different comp, um, content ideas and topics. Well, and as you were talking, I was thinking about like all of the cross-cutting concepts that you could incorporate. Like you could totally do like scale, proportion, and quantity. You could bring in like cause and effect. So I think when you build those more robust um, phenomena, then you, it's so much easier to pull other, the other dimensions in. Yeah. It just, they just, they fall into, into place. And that's what kind of phenom- building your unit from phenomena is about. It's like, you don't have to really struggle to make those ties right. because they just, those natural connections just exist. Right. And it's really just a matter of identifying them. Um, we kind of, I like, I shared a little bit of, of, you know, one of the examples that I'm using for an anchor experience. Do you have any of your, like what, what you found has worked really well with your students or even how you thought of, how you, how you found um, phenomena that work well? I I mean, personally, I really am loving environmental phenomena right now. Our kids really do care about the environment. I think we've talked about this before, but they like, they see it as a problem and they want to do something about it. So, um, like right now we are experienced experiencing drought, which is common in California. We cycle between drought and like really wet seasons, but like our lakes are drying up. Like, um, we're having these massive sinkholes because the water table is drying up. So like, that is definitely something that we can bring in, um, looking at things like, um, like building, that's like a huge thing in California, like the houses are going up like crazy because housing prices are going up. So it's much more lucrative to build. So the environmental impacts of, um, (laughs) of building is like a really nice, easy topic to, to bring in. 
Yeah. That's like environmental science is literally what got me back into science after middle and high school. I was not a fan of science. I've yeah. talked about this before. I was literally the person who was like, I'm not a science person. <laughs> I would tell people that. Um, but then I, I got into an environmental science class in college and then seeing how it all connected and how we're part of the system and all of that totally changed it for me. So I love environmental phenomena, but I think um, like, so, so for some other examples though, what you've said about like what's going on around you, I think is just, that's a really great place to start. What's going on in the world? What's going on around you? I like to, if I have no idea about a topic, I sometimes like to look on science news websites because, right. or even just regular news websites, because you get an idea of what's going on around you. Um, but like, you know, if you're into, if you're doing like genetics and biology and things, you know, a lot of the cancer is a topic and is an idea of a phenomenon I've, I've seen teachers use before. And I think that can be a really great one when you're getting into um, mutations and all of that stuff. Obviously cancer itself is not a phenomenon. You need to narrow it down and identify your time and place and all that. I mean, but that's something that's super relevant, like are, you know, cancer rates increasing or what could be causing it? Um, You can look into stories of individuals and what might have influenced, you know, their, those medical conditions for them. Um, Looking at one of my favorites for cells and body systems, and I use this again and again, and I'm literally making a new Spark um, for the Spark subscription that is built on this, uh, but the idea of viruses, because I think they're so fascinating. They're super cool. Um, and I think everybody's probably tired of like COVID, but you could look at literally any other epidemic. So I decided to go way back in time and do smallpox. Um, I kind of bounced that idea off of there, and she was like, yeah, I think that'd be a good one. Uh, so, but looking at the smallpox epidemic and and, and that can easily tie you into cells, body systems, and even that, that standard on synthetic materials um, coming oh, yeah. from natural resources. Because when you look at treatments and vaccines, antibiotics, vaccines, all that stuff. So just looking at the world around you is like a really good starting point for identifying what could be a good phenomena for your students. Well, and one of the things that we talked about with smallpox was that it kids are tired of hearing about COVID. But it still connects to them. It's still relevant to them. So that's a nice way to bring in a connection without making that like making that direct connection where they're gonna be like, oh, COVID, I don't want to hear this. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, But it does have that, you know, reminiscences or whatever, you know, like it brings it to mind. Right. Um, Yeah. So so that is. Is, is one too. And I can also, so this one is less big world stage, but I'm trying to figure out, I'm, I'm still monkeying with it. I'm trying to figure out a way to make it more of a bigger world stage, but I created one, um, another spark that's kind of geared toward atoms and molecules and I'm doing baking, which is something, an idea that I had had a long time ago and I never ended up fleshing out this unit, but, um, so baking and the idea of, you know, have you ever seen those clips online that are like the different cookies baked with different white sugar, brown sugar, baking soda. I I think that's so cool and fascinating. And also baking is fun, right? So baking was like the first anchor, but I'm like, okay, that's a personal experience. I can have students connect with it personally by baking um, and they like cookies, right? But how can I put it more on a world stage? And so I was thinking I might like do something with different kinds of sugars, you know, because there's always this debate, like is corn syrup worse than regular sugar, worse than honey, worse than, you know what I mean? So I might kind of, tie that in in some way um you could also do um like environmental op- impacts like talking about like where you're sourcing um oh, sourcing. sourcing 
the like the materials <laughs> not materials but ingredients yeah um, but like looking at like what is it palm oil or whatever that's like super bad for the environment um things like um like almonds which you know if you're making it up almond flour or something like that so it doesn't have to be necessarily that but um like almonds require a ton of water to grow so they're like really bad for the environment like a bunch of different things like that well and that's cool those are cool things because they're stuff that you don't like we don't think of you Mm -hmm. know on a daily basis and also with like the palm oil I've I've like kind of done a little bit of research on that too and it's like it's really it is really bad the way we're doing it but the alternatives are not necessarily better because palm oil is really efficient. Right. So it really is a matter of changing how we're, we're doing the palm oil rather than necessarily totally. Like if you switch it out with a different kind of oil, you need way more of it. So then you just have to destroy more forests and like so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just get into so many complexities. And I think, I think a lot of times we lose our students because there's no complexity in our science classes. Yeah. We're, diver- we're diverging a little bit, but this all does relate to, Phenomena should be complex. Right. And it shouldn't maybe always have like a clear explanation or a totally clear answer. Like it's okay for us to say, well, I mean, palm oil is not good. Are the alternatives better? I don't know. Like what is the best choice? I always remember I had in my environmental science class, my professor was like, well, is it better to wash your cup by hand or to put it in the dishwasher? If you wash by hand and you're like running the water, that kind of wastes a lot of water. If you put it in the dishwasher, you're kind of wasting a lot of water. Or is it better to use a plastic cup that you're not going to, that you're going to like recycle or a paper cup that you can compost? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what's a hard and like fast right answer, but that kind of complexity can be really engaging to students and really get them thinking. For sure. Um, And I think that the conversation is so much more important than the answer for one. Yes. Just engaging them in that conversation is so incredibly important. And then I was going to say something else and then I forgot. So <laughs> what was I going to say? Well, I want to build off your conversations. So you think about what you're going to say. Okay. You don't have to listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I think that is a good point too. With this like phenomenon-based learning, with 3D learning, the facts and the content, like the, I don't want to say the content's not important. It's not as important as we have placed it in the past. I feel like in the past, it's always been on a pedestal. The content is everything. The science ideas is, are everything. Having our students know all these facts, that is everything. And that's not everything because who knows what facts they're going to need in 10 years? Who knows what facts are going to be like the real facts in 10 years, because I'm, I'm not trying to argue like that. There's no truth, but I want to argue that sometimes we revise our ideas over time. Right. Sure. Um, so sure. We can expect some facts to remain, but honestly, in science, there's no hard truth proof or whatever. It's, this is our understanding based on all of the evidence that we have at this moment. And if we get new evidence, then we have to be willing to revise those ideas. And so we need to give our students the skills to examine the evidence and to draw their conclusions and think critically and um, and really walk away with that understanding of, of the world, how to approach the world when you get into like worldview and crossing concepts, lenses, all of that, and then the skills to do so with the science and engineering practice practices. So when we're building our units from phenomena, it's we we wanna, it is okay if 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 it's not all about the facts, like you said, like the conversations, that's where really like learning is happening and growth is happening. And 
if that's more important than just coming out with like, this is the right answer. These are all the science facts. I'm telling you this. And then I'm probably going to forget it tomorrow because that's how most of our students work. Well, I, I remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> okay. So um, I think that one of the things that the NGSS really represents is a move away from this like spoon feeding kids and making it super easy. I think that we did that for a long time and just like making it like super easy for students to like memorize facts and all of that stuff. I think we lost so many students because it was too easy and there was no like dissonance. There was no like there, there wasn't anything to engage with. So that yeah. is incredibly important. That complexity is incredibly important. Yes, that's so true. Um, so I feel like we kind of like diverged a little bit from yeah. our initial <laughs> anger conversation, but I, it does all tie back. You know, we want that relevance. We want that emotion. We want complexity. We want our students to truly be engaging and thinking and talking and figuring things out. Um, and really that's all this type of, you know, phenomenon based and 3D learning is really about. So yeah. I, we, we didn't go too far off. No, we did pretty good. I think for us, you know, like we get, we get a little passionate and we go on a bird walk. So it's we fun. do, we do, we do a little bird walk. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. So yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on, do you want to talk about, do you want to mention a little bit about kind of the idea of um, like layers of phenomena? Cause for the most part, we've been talking about that big anchor phenomena layer. So we, the only thing we didn't really talk about was investigative phenomena. And I think that that is also important because that that's where you can bring in those, those other pieces that you used to do that just, just don't quite fit. Um, and things that we've kind of identified as not great anchoring phenomena, like, um, demos and, um, what else? Uh, simulations. So demos, simulations, um, even like labs and explorations and things like that for sure definitely um and those everyday phenomena that we were talking about those are all things that we could bring in in those like in those other pieces to kind of keep students engaged keep students questioning but when it when you can't make like a really good direct explanation to the anchor or like connection to the anchor then you could use that investigative phenomena that's Related in some way, but it doesn't have to be directly related. Right. Like, okay, so um, my baking cookies example, when you're, when you're baking cookies, there's a lot going on, right? It, there's, it's, com- it's complex. So your students are not really going to be able to figure out like why the brown sugar cookie looks different than the white sugar cookie from that, from just baking the cookies. So you need to create additional investigations. You need to create, engage them with additional phenomena to help them figure out the ideas of like, well, something in those ingredients, something about the structure of them is affecting how it's, it's, you know, coming to be or whatever. So I like to use, um, looking at like salt and, and sugar dissolving differently because they kind of look alike on the surface, but the ideas at the, at the like particle level, the molecular level and all that, they are, they're different and their structure of, of the atoms and of the molecules affects the, basically the function or what we see, the observable properties. You're not going to get that from just participating in the anchor, but they can do that kind of smaller lab, those smaller explorations. They can walk away with that idea and then they can take that idea and look back at the cookies and realize, okay, there's something about the brown sugar and the white sugar molecules that are different. And actually there's not because they're both the same, but 
brown sugar is a mixture that has molasses, but that's another thing that they can investigate because then if we look at, well, what is the molecule, you know, the molecules of brown sugar and white sugar look like, and then maybe they build them and then they're exactly the same. And they're like, okay, wait, something else is going on here. Right. Into your next question. So it's really about those smaller investigative level phenomena lead students to the content. And then you take that content idea and you apply it back to your explaining what you've seen in that anchor and answering the questions that students generated. Well, and I feel like that piece is a little bit easier because it's kind of stuff that we used to do that we can just kind of like re like re put in like reposition in order to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's, you don't have to like rebuild everything. Um, You can, you can flip what you're doing to add in more exploration. You can flip it so that it's more connected to the phenomena or leads to the phenomena at the end. You don't have to start from scratch. Typically you can't do it exactly as you did it before because if it wasn't designed for 3d, like I still stand by that episode of our podcast, if it wasn't designed for 3d, it's probably not three-dimensional, but it doesn't mean you can't take something that you've done and revamp it to make it three-dimensional. Exactly. Thank you for cleaning that up for me. Yes. um, I just feel like I ramble, but (laughs) um, yeah. So I think that kind of wraps up, you know, how, how you can go about choosing better phenomena and, and really how you're using phenomena, how you want to think about your big anchors um, and, and maybe where, if, I would guess, what, what, what would the takeaway here? I would encourage, you know, listeners to kind of look at the phenomena that they're using for your anchor and kind of ask yourself, does it, it does it place students, um, like, does it have that real world connection? So like a, a relevant world stage connection, you know, does it have that personal or emotional connection? Does it, is it complex? Does it have that kind of fuzziness? Um, Or maybe the phenomenon you're using is more of that investigative level and you need to find something bigger to to bundle it all or unite it all together. Uh, And I think just kind of reflecting on where you might be with that. And you might say, oh, hey, this checks off the personal connection, but I don't, like I said, with my kind of baking cookies one, I have that personal connection. I don't necessarily have that world stage connection yet. And I feel like I need to add to that anchor experience in order to, to touch on that a little bit more. Um, and then you can just go back and revise, right? Yeah. And giving yourself permission to do it, like not just on one day, like you can add that in later. And I think that that helps a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you can always take those baby steps. Um, that's really how it, how we learn. Um, Awesome. So thank you all for joining us and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, please make sure you grab your, that, like, if you, if you want to check it out, um, what I mean by anchor experience that it's called let's talk trash. Uh, but that anchor experience on trash pollution, nutrient cycles, composting, all of that stuff. Um, and you can grab that at ixplorescience/spark, and I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but otherwise we will catch you next week. Hey, can you take a second and help us out? Our ultimate goal is to improve science education, and you can help us do this by helping other science teachers find us. If you could just take a moment and rate and review the podcast, we would appreciate it so much. And if you have time to send this episode to a colleague who might find it useful, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. 
While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.